Good morning, saints. Good morning. Good morning, sinners. Good morning. Everybody showed up again. How about that? Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago when I preached, uh, I let you know a little bit about the greatest secret in the United Methodist Church, and that's that the United Methodists carry their Bibles. It's so secretive that often I find there are a few, very few Methodists that don't carry their Bibles. So let's do a Bible check this morning. How many people brought their Bible with them? Let's see. Let's see. Okay, I still see a couple of hymnals out there. I saw a few cell phones go up. My daughter says that's a real Bible. I'm still not sure. Liberals. Stepped on toes already this morning. So listen now to God's word to us in these uh, words of scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Somebody say Lazarus. Lazarus. The home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Somebody say Martha. Martha. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary, somebody say Mary. Mary. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one whom was about to betray him, said... Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Parentheses. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Close parentheses. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. May God add a blessing to this reading and hearing of Holy Scripture. Now go ahead and keep your Bibles out, because I want to walk you through a little bit of Scripture this morning. So don't, uh, don't tuck it away just quite yet. Uh, but I just want to say this morning, and what, what an honor and a privilege it is to come back a second time uh, and apologize uh, at the start of the sermon. So if you heard my sermon last time, uh, you're going to know what I'm going to say this morning. And my wife makes fun of me that I only have one sermon, and it's one sentence long, and it's that God loves you and there's nothing at all you can do about it. Amen? God loves you and there's nothing at all you can do about it. So if you need to be on your phone now or checking basketball scores or whatever you want to need to do on a Sunday morning, you know what the sermon's going to be about. Uh, it's going to be the, about God loving you. And there's not a thing, nothing at all you can do about that. Amen? Amen. Would you join your hearts and mind in prayer? O oh Lord, our God, move among us this morning so we, thy people, may feel your divine power and presence with us. Touch each one of us, heart, mind, and soul. Give us words by which to live, words which will mold and shape our lives. After the example of your Son, Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, 
our friends. Amen. Back in the early 80s, I got a job with a brand new, fancy New York department store that was just moving to the Dallas Metroplex. It was called Bloomingdale's. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a Bloomingdale's, but it's kind of a monstrosity among monstrosities in retail organizations. It was the first store they had opened west of the Mississippi. And I was the first Texas employee they hired. They sent most of the employees down from New York and around the New York area. Uh, the farthest west they had been uh, before they opened Dallas was King of Prussia in Pennsylvania. That was really going out in the country for them, right? Uh, and so they came to Dallas mainly because the CEO of Bloomingdale's, Marvin Traub, and Stanley Marcus, uh, you might have heard of Stanley Marcus, Neiman Marcus fame, uh, were really good friends. And they had more customers in Dallas that had, uh, you know, Bloomingdale's has their own store charge card, like a lot of stores. Dillard's has it and other stores have it. Uh, and they had different colors of the charge cards. And so the, the blue card was just a normal person that uh, would shop at Bloomingdale's and have a Bloomingdale's charge card. Yellow card was uh, employees that were shopping because it had their discount built in. Uh, but there was also a gold card, a Bloomingdale's gold card. And if you had a Bloomingdale's gold card, it meant you had spent more than $10,000 in the last year in a Bloomingdale's store. Dallas, as a city, had more gold card customers than any other city in the United States outside the East Coast. Now, just get that in your mind. Had more people with gold cards, meaning they spent over $10,000 a year in a store that wasn't even in Texas than any other city in the country. And uh, so they hired me, and I worked for several months before the store opened, and then I opened and worked really hard, and I got promoted very quickly to a specialty shop manager. So on, in a three-story retail building that was way too big with way too much stuff that people didn't need, I got to be on the first floor right between the escalators, the prime real estate in any Bloomingdale store. And I got to run the specialty shops around the escalators. So we had uh, Lancome Cosmetics and we had swatches. Anybody remember swatches? Right? We had a swatch counter. We were the first ones to have swatches in Dallas. Um, and uh, we had other kinds of uh, counters uh, all around the escalators right there in the center of the store, the most expensive retail space in the store per square foot. One of the counters we had was the Giorgio counter. Uh, any Giorgio fans? It's a perfume, if you don't know. Not a singer. <laughs> so we had a Giorgio counter, and some of the bottles of Giorgio went for five or $600. The smaller the bottle, the more expensive, right? Uh, we had just, uh, people would come out with $100 bills to pay for Giorgio. They'd buy many bottles at a time because it just was something that had not been available in Dallas. Now the thing about Giorgio perfume you can't quite get in your mind is how much it, what's the polite word, smells. And that smell just kind of goes with you wherever you go. So I could go all the way up to the third floor and be in the stock room loading stuff up and I would still smell Giorgio perfume. I, it was all over me. Because uh, the, the testers were out there spraying it all over the place, and they'd spray it all the way out into the mall so people would smell it and want to come in and give all their $100 bills to the Giorgio counter. And that smell just stuck with you wherever you went. Some smells are just so prolific that they literally stink up the whole place. Y'all have an image? It was just stinking up the whole prime real estate area, that Giorgio counter. Just this one little tiny counter but all the way, even on the other side, blocked by many walls, on the other corner, opposite corner, you could smell the Giorgio counter. You got that picture in mind? So now I wanted you to look back at the scripture. Let's walk through it a little bit, verse by verse, with that in mind. 
verse 1 in chapter 12 says, Six days before the Passover. So you know what's getting ready to happen. A parade is coming, right? There's going to be a parade, but that's not going to be the end of the story, is it? Next Sunday we'll celebrate the parade, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story isn't even on Good Friday, is it? It's on Easter morning. And so right off the bat, the the writer of John is trying to get us to mentally be in that story. What's happening? Six days before the Passover, they come to Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? He's the one that was in the tomb already. And they sent word to Jesus. Jesus seems to have this special friendship with this family. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are friends of Jesus, close friends. And Jesus is off preaching and he gets word that his brother Lazarus is dead. And when he gets there four days later, he's still dead. And he starts to go into the tomb and Martha says what? Don't go in there. Why? It doesn't smell like Giorgio. (laughs) Don't go in there. It reeks of death. The smell of death is overwhelming in that tomb. Don't go in there, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He conquers the smell of death, right? He goes in and raises Lazarus and restores him to full life. Somebody say, wow. We kind of just skip over that in this scripture, right? We just, oh yeah, Jesus rose uh, this guy from the dead one time. He was in a tomb and it smelled bad. And, but let's get, to, let's get to the parade. Let's get to Easter week. Let's get to Easter Sunday. But John would have us linger here for just a while longer. Even past the story of Lazarus, John would have us linger just a little bit more in this scripture. This scripture about smell, about things that stink. The great theologians, Leonard Skinner, wrote about this in that song, That Smell. Oh, that smell, that smell of death that surrounds you. Oh, that smell. Now, they're talking about drugs and alcohol and driving your car and hitting a tree. But that's the smell of death, right? We can smell that sense of death coming for people that are living their lives out of control. We don't know what exactly happened to Lazarus or why he died, but we know that Jesus brought him back, raised him from the dead. And now here Jesus is, a few scenes later, sitting at table with Lazarus. Somebody say, wow! Right? The dead guy is sitting at the table with Jesus. Now, don't you wonder just for a minute, if I couldn't get the smell of Giorgio out of my hair and out of my coat, how easy was it to get the smell of death out of Lazarus? That smell of death that surrounded him. This is an amazing story. We need to linger in this story a little bit before we get to Palm Sunday. So Jesus is there with Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. There they had a dinner, and Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Now here's the next amazing part of the story. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha... Mary, who liked to linger at Jesus' feet while her sister was doing all the hard stuff, right? And, And just soak it all in. Take it all in from Jesus. 
Listen to what he was saying about God. Listen to what he was saying about love. Mary that sat at Jesus' feet, we don't know how many times. Listening to Jesus, Mary gets it. And this is the story that shows us Mary gets it long before the rest of us do. Verse 3, Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. Now that's nard, not lard. Just, <laughs> we're in Texas, so don't get confused. And anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. This is this expensive Giorgio perfume that she laid down hundreds of dollars for. And what does she do? She breaks the bottle and pours it all, all over Jesus' feet. This costly, costly sacrifice. Mary, publicly doing this for Jesus. Out in the open, doing this for Jesus. Later on, some men in secret will do the same thing for Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus, built in the dark, in hidden, in secret, they'll anoint Jesus' dead body and put him in the tomb. But Mary here publicly says, I'm all in, Jesus. I love you. I'm all in. Everything I got, I spent on this. Boom. I've anointed your feet. Somebody say, Wow. This is an incredible story. Don't pass over it. Linger in this story a little while longer. This story makes me think of um, some time that I've uh, spent. I spent about uh, three decades now going to uh, this place in Juarez, Mexico called Puerto Brigo. I know you all took a trip there uh, not too long ago. And um, one of the things I used to do is go about once a month and just hang out with groups that were going. We were trying to get some things done besides just building houses. So the main mission of Proyecto Brigo is to build houses for people living in cardboard houses. They build a concrete block house about the size of a one-car garage, uh, and these houses last for 100 years. The only thing that will ever need to be fixed is the roof, right? Uh, And these are people that are living in cardboard houses and working in factories there in Juarez. Uh, scraping together what little they have for food and the materials to just to put the cardboard house together. And so we had lots and lots of teams coming to build houses, but we had other things we wanted to do in the community. We wanted to build a church. We wanted to build a vocational school. We wanted a food pantry. We wanted a medical clinic. And so the first thing we started on was a medical clinic, and the person in charge of that project had some other things come up in their life, and uh, We got the walls up for the medical clinic, and then it just kind of lingered for several years. And we were all praying about what do we do next, what do we do next, and somebody asked me to take over that project, and so I would go once a month and just hang out with teams building houses and tell them about the other needs and take them on tours of the church and the vocational school and what would someday be the medical clinic. And one of those times I was there, this team from Dallas came in. They had been before. And uh, we were, after the tour that night, we were all drinking hot chocolate, trying to stay warm. It was the winter. And uh, this one lady was just asking me a lot of questions. It turned out later she told me that she and her husband had come into some money and that they didn't really think they needed it for themselves, but they didn't know what to do with it. Tens of thousands of dollars. And they were waiting for God to tell them what that money could best be used for. And she heard my pitch about the medical clinic. If we could just get it to the next stage, people would stop breaking the concrete blocks and they'd stop vandalizing and putting the graffiti on the walls. We could get it enclosed, get the roof on. We could get it to the next stage. She told me about that. And she said, I'm going to go home and talk to my husband and we're going to pray and we're going to call you. 
About a month later, I got a phone call, and she said, where do I send the check for $37,000? Costly perfume given at the feet of Jesus. The good news of that particular story is that she was really clear that that money was for something bigger than her own amusement, bigger than her own self-interest, bigger than her husband's needs. They didn't need that money for themselves. But they knew somebody needed it. This is very Wesleyan, right? John Wesley was always concerned about, you know, did I spend too much money on my shoes? Did I steal from the poor because I bought $10 shoes when $5 shoes would do the right trick? And do I have a $50 coat instead of a $20 coat? Both of them keep me warm, but why did I waste the $30? This is very Wesleyan in understanding. They gave the entire amount to the medical clinic in Juarez, Mexico. It got it to the next stage, and I'm happy to tell you today, here all these years later, there's a functioning medical clinic for people that would spend two to three hours riding a bus to get to the nearest hospital. So just imagine, you have a broken arm, you ride for two to three hours on a bus to get treatment. Imagine you have a burn from cooking. Uh, you know, your arm gets scalded or something from hot oil, and you have to ride a bus for two to three hours to get help. Now there's a clinic right in the neighborhood that go, they can walk there and get medical treatment and then go to the hospital. Uh, or they can get basic prescriptions filled for free. All those kinds of things. Healthcare checks for their children. Got it to the next stage. Why? Because somebody took a costly thing and broke it at the feet of Jesus and said, here, let me give you everything I've got. I'm so grateful for that couple from Dallas, Texas. So many lives have been changed from that one costly gift. Back to the scripture. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot. Now, do you remember the three people I had you name? Lazarus, Martha, Mary. We remember Judas out of all of those, right? We don't need to name Judas. We know the Judas story, don't we? We even have a phrase, we call people Judases, don't we? If they, what? Betray us. And so long before uh, Judas betrays Jesus in the garden, Judas is betraying Jesus in this story. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii, a year's wages? 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. Now, the writer gives us this little parenthesis and says, now he didn't really want to give it to the poor. He just wanted it in the purse so he could steal more money. That's the basic idea here, right? And Jesus says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. Anybody ever heard that quoted? I've heard that quoted a lot. Sometimes it's in a mission committee. You know, why should we spend money on this mission project? We're always going to have the poor. There's nothing you can do about it. It's kind of the modern way we translate that verse. That's not what Jesus means. Jesus here is quoting Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it's talking about the sabbatical year. Every seventh year where all the debts are forgiven, where all the slaves are freed, and everything's given back and put in right order. And Jesus here is alluding to that scripture that says you should look out for your brother with genuine love, giving to them however they need. 
and to the sojourner, and to the widow, and to the orphan, all the people in need in your community, you should look out for them. That's what Jesus means, is that you're not fully my community if these people are not included in your ministry. So it's not fully the beloved community of God if those who are going without are not amongst you. You should always have the poor amongst you. The people being crushed by poverty should be right here in the middle of this beloved community. That's what Jesus is trying to say in this story. They should always be part of us. Anybody that's going without should be part of us so that we can help make sure they get the basics. It's scriptural. It's in Deuteronomy, and that's what Jesus is alluding to here. I'll invite you to go to Deuteronomy 15 sometime and read those passages about the sabbatical year. Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. I'm here for a little while longer. She's committed this great act of love. Mary, the named disciple of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, the disciples, the writer doesn't seem to care too much if they're men or women. There's the special 12, but these, there's these women as well. They're at the foot of the cross. Somebody said one time, you know, everybody abandons Jesus. No, they don't. The women never do. It's the men that run away. Amen? Ladies? Right? The women are always there. They don't abandon Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, that's prominent. And Mary is prominent. Before Jesus tells his, uh, his disciples that his commandment for them is to love one another the way he's loved them, Mary loves him the way he loves them. Mary. Wow. Mary gives everything she has, a year's wages, to anoint Jesus' feet before the parade. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to love God the way Mary loves God because God loves me the way Mary loves Jesus. Jesus loves me in a way that I can't get away from. I can't earn it. I can never be good enough to get it. And no matter how many times I stumble, Jesus loves me anyway. Somebody say amen. amen. No matter how I stumble, Jesus loves me anyway. Somebody say amen. amen. I get excited about that. I'm betting everything I have on this whole Jesus thing. I think it's real. I think it's the real deal. Not just for me, but for you. For all those good folks out there being crushed by poverty, or family violence, or loneliness. What would you do for Jesus? What beautiful thing would you do for Jesus if you knew you could not fail? That's what Mary shows us in this one story. You can break something just as valuable at the feet of Jesus. And my brothers and sisters, I don't know what the personal call is on your life of God. But I'm convinced of this. We're all called to do beautiful, beautiful things for Jesus. Amen? My brothers and sisters, this is the good news. Hear it. Believe it. And live it. Amen.